0: This is o Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, chameleon collective founding
1: partner, Freddie Laker.
0: Hi everyone and welcome to another week of o Ship. This week I've got my friend Marcel Fairbrain joining us. I've known Marcel for feels like donkey's years Uh, I worked with him uh, in one of my earlier companies, iCamillion, to help uh, bring one of his businesses to life uh, on the internet, which you're going to hear a lot about uh, today. Um, Marcel has a really, really fascinating origin story, starting uh, basically as as a rock and roller in the 80s, who then developed a passion for gear and concert gear and lighting and and moved on to being a, a, a multifaceted entrepreneur across Uh, multiple businesses, but probably best well known for his creation, GearSource, which he's actually approaching his 20th year of of building and growing as as a great company. Uh, I happen to think Marcel's a a fascinating and entertaining guy who's always got a cool angle on about any subject you can think of. And you're going to get a little sample of that today as we talk about what it means to bring a little rock and roll to the entrepreneurial world and frankly, persistence, what it takes when you're you know, an entrepreneur trying to go against all odds uh, and and you know, fight systems that may have been in place for a long time and, and, and keep fighting the good fight for ideas that you really believe in. And that doesn't really matter whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a corporate exec or you're just a leader in general. This idea of of powering through ideas that are really important uh, to you and to your belief and and to opportunities that you see is something we should all be excited about. So I think Marcel is going to be a great inspiration for you on this week's episode of OSHIP.
1: Oh shit, we're live! Oh damn, I almost missed it, yeah,
0: Freddy. Yeah, this happened before. The guest has just walked off before it started.
1: Yeah. Oh shit, we're live. hey Freddy, how are you? I feel like I need to straighten my glasses, though.
0: Uh, dude, I spend the entire show straightening my glasses. I, I, the problem I with these you video shows? you know. If it I was just an do. audio
1: podcast, we could all
0: just do this the whole time exactly. and no one would even notice. But unfortunately, That's... we're not. We're not there. Yeah. <laughs> so. If it makes you feel better, though, I'm not wearing pants, so. I appreciate that. So where where are you calling in from today, Marcel?
1: I am, uh, if you know Banff, Canada, I'm just outside of Banff, Canada, in another little town, and uh, uh, it's beautiful. I'm sitting here looking out at the mountains from my new stand-up desk. So if I I walk around (laughs) and dance a little, that's why. This is the first official
0: standing desk oh, ship. I always ah. sit for a ship. I, I, I was inspired by you standing for your desk. So if we do get a little bit of lean today or a little bit of wiggle, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be a little more loose, loose today. Um, so speaking I of like loose, loose. I yeah, like loose. Yeah, I know you do. So so speaking of loose, we're gonna we're gonna before I get into any of more of the kind of serious interview questions I like to ask people, uh, I wanna have a little icebreaker. As a guy who I know is passionate about music, uh, I have to ask a couple quick questions for you, and we'll see how, how quickly you stumble on these. Oh, great. uh, or not. Greatest rock and roll band of all time? Led Zeppelin. Who's the greatest Canadian rock and roll band of all time? Rush. I, I, ask I me a tough one, will you? Yeah, I have to go with you on that one. Who makes better rock bands, the Brits, the Americans, or Canadians?
1: Depends on the era. Uh, today, I'd say it's the Americans in the 70s and 80s, I'd, or 70s for sure, I'd say the Brits. Yeah. 80s and 90s, I think Americans and very few Canadians. You know, I have yeah. a lot of Canadian rock star mm-hmm. friends yeah, yeah. that were very good. But, you know, on a sort of scale kind of thing, I would say probably America in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, today I think they all make shit music for the most part. So I mean, Brilliant. bad music, <laughs> not shit, sorry. Yeah, shit so who, music. The, who's the best live band? Well, again, it depends on what era, you yeah. know, Pink Floyd, probably overall is yeah. one of the best live bands. Um, today, I'd say it's probably Coldplay. Coldplay yeah. is incredible live. I think a lot of people would argue with me on that, but, uh, you know the stones are always incredible you
0: are at your core and we'll talk about this more today a like you know you're a diehard lighting concert gears you know the stage is a huge part of the production for you so when you say those are the best live bands because they make the best live music because they got the best setups they got the best uh...
1: It's, you know, it's all part of it, right? Like, you can't be the best live band with the worst light show. So um, Pink Floyd, it was all about the gear. And it's funny because I just had a conversation yesterday with uh, a fine gentleman named Mark Brickman who has been pink floyd's lighting designer for i think probably 50 years i mean uh he's done them forever and he was the one who was responsible for that circle of lights that just kind of went like this and did you know, he's done some amazing things and he's an artist now he has a studio in in uh, los angeles but you know today again i mean coldplay uh their lighting uh designer is is a woman named Sooner Ruthier and she's just an incredibly talented person. She works with Kiss, she works with The Muse, uh, she works with a lot of bands that you'd love. And so Sooner just, first of all, designed a very good show, but you can put a really great light show behind a very boring band like a Steely Dan or someone who just stands there and or sits on chairs and performs like Genesis. You know, Genesis is an incredible show. And believe me, Genesis has always been one of my favorite bands. But they're kind of past their their due date at this point. So wheeling Phil Collins out in a wheelchair to sing you know Genesis songs just doesn't work for me, even though the lighting is incredible. I, I suspect I'd have
0: to have a pretty great light show. That would, be my, yeah. that would be my thing if I was if I was a man. So on yeah. that note, that but I but should. again,
1: just to finish, if you've yeah. ever seen Coldplay Live, or if you've never seen Coldplay Live, see them because Chris Martin, the singer, just really gets the audience into it. He's such a performer and such a great guy. So, Well, if
0: anyone uh, tuning in on the live chat at any point has a point of view on Best Live Band, please, please chime in. So I wanted I wanted to start going down uh, uh, the more entrepreneurial side of, of your history, Marcel, and, and using that to kind of pivot in some of the big uh, subjects I'd love to talk about today. I feel like I'm missing out by not being able to show this. Very fantastic photo. I've I've been seeing glimpses of over the years. You sporting a very spectacular '80s long hair uh, look. I believe in a very cool denim uh, jacket. Uh, so t- I had good hair. <laughs> you did have greater <laughs> hair. I,
1: not know. so much today.
0: H- how did you How did you get your start when you started your career before
1: you you jumped over to the kind of you know marketplace tech SaaS Yeah. World. So believe it or not, it's a funny story. So. My very first time, I, I was a singer to start, and my very first time was in church, and I was like seven or eight years old, and uh, the the priest asked if anyone had a song that they'd like to sing, and I think it was Sunday school or something. It was like before or after the the church thing, the Mass, and so... My parents are horrified when I stand up because I'm sort of, you know, little Johnny. I'm the class clown and stuff. So I stand up and I sing bottle of wine, fruit of the vine. And my my parents were just like, oh, my God.
0: Crawling
1: under the the chair. (laughs) Yeah. Fast forward a few years. And, you know, I sang a lot at home in the shower and, you know, to my family Mm -hmm. and stuff. And there was an ad, up, I think, in the church for a singer for a rock band and you know audition on saturday or whatever so i went in i auditioned i got the gig and so that band rehearsed in the basement of a church a catholic church and Mm -hmm. uh to pay for that rehearsal space we did a thing every saturday night called the rock mass and it was really heavy rock music with you know religious lyrics And the church, which was normally pretty dead on Saturday night, was suddenly standing room of teenagers. Like, it was packed out the door. And it just became this massive success. And then, of course, the bishop or the old priest who ran the church or something came in and shut us down because it was devil's music and all that stuff, right? So I went on. I I actually, uh, uh, in a very entrepreneurial genius move, I quit school uh, in the middle of 10th grade. And, uh, because I, if anyone's not following along, (laughs) yeah, that is sarcasm. Don't, don't quit school in 10th grade people. So I (laughs) quit school as soon as I, it was on my 16th birthday. I was legally allowed to quit school and I got fake ID and I went on the road with a rock band, uh, touring, touring taverns and clubs in Western Canada. And I did that for a couple of years and I realized, you know, my, my pay was $200 a week and my bar tab was 250 so the math just wasn't working for me right it it wasn't working out real well and And, then right here right yeah i missed the accounting class that taught me (laughs) that you know you should probably make more than you spend that would be a good idea but really i'll tell you this sounds crazy but the driving sort of entrepreneurial burn in me came from wanting a corvette uh you know i grew up poor i grew up in a poor family in a fairly poor place and just a corvette to me was a pinnacle of success. Yeah. And so I just dreamed about a corvette, and, and uh, I think it was Tony Robbins. I listened to all of these guys when I was a kid, you know, uh, whether it was Napoleon Hill or Tony Robbins or Brian Tracy or whoever, motivational guys. And Tony Robbins always talked about visualizing things. So I had, you know, a picture of a corvette on the mirror where I brushed my teeth, and you know anywhere I could put a picture of a corvette, I had a picture of a corvette. And so I quit touring in bands and I got a job in a music store selling guitars to those bands that I used to tour with. And what I realized was I was a really good networker and I was a pretty good sales guy. And I loved that side of it. I loved being sort of in business, but or in the business, but not on the stage. And that was a great aha moment for me because I know people who I knew back then. Who are still playing the same bars and they're still broke and they're still you know they're having fun they're playing music for a living but so hopefully after a couple decades you get the part where the bar tab is lower than the income though and that yeah this makes perfect on that one well actually i just started (laughs) drinking less you know it it worked out you know you cut your expenses you can either increase, okay, so here's a great entrepreneurial lesson. You can increase your revenue or you can cut your expenses. Those are two different ways to profitability. So quit drinking and you got the money back, right? So, so you know, I, I took this job in the music store. I got really good at it. I got offered another job. Then I got offered a partnership uh, to go open another store in another city. Fairly quickly, I learned what it was like to be a minority partner and that you really have very few rights and protections as a minority. I think I owned, uh, 30% or something. And so I wanted to sell out of it. I was not getting along with the founder and wanted to leave the company. And, uh, so I hired a lawyer and just said, Hey, Marcel wants to leave and, and he'd like to sell his shares back to you in the company. And they did everything they could to destroy my life. So that taught me a very valuable lesson at about 23 years old. And, um, I'm gonna try and shorten this. So I went on to another music store later on and uh, they had this division that did sound and lights for nightclub installations, church installations, et cetera. And I went, hey, look, there's a shiny thing. I'm gonna go check that out. I'm sick of selling guitars. I'm not making enough money. You know, My Corvette that I did buy, by the way, I got a Corvette at, uh, I think I was 18 when I got my first one. And I've had about seven or eight Corvettes by now and a lot of other cars. But my, my new Corvette at that time was a 1985 Corvette and it was a little more expensive. I needed a little more money. So I went into their commercial division and really took to the lighting. And it was because I'm a very, uh, i have a creative mind in the back of all of this and lighting allows you to just really create a mood and create a look and do all of these beautiful things. So I really sort of hooked into that and that led me to a so far 30 something year career in, mm-hmm. in lighting at the core, but now it's more lighting, sound, video. And, 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 and everything.
0: how did you make, and just to be clear, and I'm going I'm to do my best to summarize this for people in the audience who may not, may not appreciate this or understand it. You know, when you, when you, when we think about all these, uh, whether it's a, a touring rock band or a live event or churches or any of these types of things, there's an incredible amount of gear that is, comes together to put these things, you know, put these shows on, you know, a, a large touring band I mean, they there may have 50 to hundred speakers that they're bringing around. I mean, what in five, you know, 18 you know, wheelers, if it's a big, big 40, tour, 40. 40.
1: Yeah. Know, so I like, think what, the like stones might've been stones might've been like 45, 50 trucks. That's uh, I mean, I think a yeah. lot, of, you
0: know, and you're talking, you know, you know, could be dozens, or in some cases, hundreds of people to assemble these things yep. and disassemble them as they move them around. This is a, you know, this is a really big deal. It's you know, we're talking very casually about lights, but we're talking about, in some cases, you know, inc- incredible amounts of infrastructure that's out there, and this stuff's really expensive. You know, these yeah. these concrete speakers, you know, a, a, an individual speaker could be tens of thousands of dollars. So people are literally moving around, you know, m- millions of dollars of gear. And 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 so some people can afford to do that, uh, buy this stuff new. And most bands, I'm guessing, are, are buying uh, you know some of the uh, stuff used or much of it used, and, and potentially um, you know getting the hand me downs from the band that was more successful before before them that has upgraded already. So t- tell me tell me how you transitioned basically from where you're at now to you know, basically creating. A, you know you weren't a tech guy. And all of a sudden, you're building a technology platform, yeah. You know, and 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 I'd love to I'd love to hear about that transition for you because that's a big that's a shift, especially 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a, again, it's a great story. It's a funny story, and it you know it was another leap of faith. I left an industry that was paying me a very good salary for a guy with ninth grade education. I was making more than all my friends who had MBAs and stuff. And so I was, I was making really, really good money. And I went to my now ex-wife, my wife at the time. And I said, hey, look, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to give up this big fat paycheck that I've been getting. And I'm going to figure out something to do on my own instead. I really, you know, I was always very on. I was a business owner inside a business that I didn't you know. Okay. And that was how I was my whole career up to that point, which was, you know, I'm talking about 2001 right now. So yeah. 2001, I left a very good paying job where I owned a small piece of it. They they paid me for my equity in it. And I sat around by my pool for I don't know, three or four months figuring out what my next step was. And I had some very strict rules. One was that I needed I have this house up in at the time it was a condo, but now I have a, a house up in the mountains in Canada. I want to be able to be there or to be down in the keys and nobody knows the difference. It doesn't matter. So the only way I could do that was the internet, right?
0: very ahead of your game on that by the way i'm you know people are talking about that now no one was really talking about that in, in
1: 2005 yeah, and I'm, I was. I'm, I'm
0: i'm a hardcore internet guy even i wasn't yeah. talking about that
1: Yeah, i was i was so you know the the thing was i so that was rule number 1 rule number 2 was i wanted to look big Even if I was sitting in my underwear in my bedroom and I was the only employee in the company, you know, I wanted it to look like and feel like a big company. So that went into some interesting phone systems, interesting ways of communicating with people where I had five or six different departments, but all of them came to me Mm -mm. for, for accounting, press one, for sales, press two, for you know whatever, press three. I answered all eight of those or whatever. Right. So it's a funny story, but I started listening to a set of CDs called Making Money on the Internet, which was written by a guy called Seth Godin, who I'm sure many people listening to this will know. And at the time, Seth was a pretty unknown guy. He had sold YoYo Dine uh, to Yahoo, and he was part of Yahoo's team doing um, what was called permission-based marketing. And again, this was a new thing. Now it's Pretty darn common. Everything's permission-based marketing for the most part. Spam, spam don't work anymore. And so he created this whole system around moving your business onto the internet. And so the story he told, and I forget exactly what it was, but it was something about a a bird, a special bird in like Africa or something, Mm. that flies into the mouth, the open mouth of a hippopotamus who's sitting in the water vegging out and so the bird flies in and eats all the the stuff off of the hippopotamus's teeth and the moral of the story is the bird feeds himself the hippopotamus ends up with clean teeth everybody's happy right so his his angle on that was you have to find companies larger than your own where you can take a tiny piece from each of those companies it's meaningless to them from a from an overall revenue Mm -hmm. standpoint or whatever but to you that's that's your revenue and That was the foundation of what became GearSource. It was, you know, I knew the problem. The problem was at the time, manufacturers had this inventory that was getting pushed further and further back on the shelves as new technology was coming out. And at the time, early 2000s, automated lighting technology in in particular, but audio as well was shifting from analog to digital. But it was moving very fast. So like the iPhone one was getting pushed back on the shelf for the iPhone two, then, then it was the two and one for the iPhone three, but this inventory still existed. So I wanted to solve manufacturer's inventory problems. So that's how it started. A few months in, I get a call from a lighting rental company who does concert productions, one of the largest touring lighting companies in the world. And they said, can you do the same for us? We need to get rid of our you know, unwanted or overstock inventory. Like we go out and do the stones. We have to buy $20 million worth of inventory for that tour. The tour ends six months later. Maybe we want to keep 5 million, but we want to get rid of the other 15. And although everyone in this industry knows each other, none of them were connecting in that way to sell their inventory because it was like taboo. You know, I'm not going to sell my inventory to my competitor, but they'd let me do it. So Mm -hmm. this was how it started. It was a classic marketplace. I had no idea what it was called at the time. People mm-hmm. called us a broker. I said, No, we're not a broker, because we're using uh we're using tools. We're using, you know, right. a system, a process to do this. Brokers, you know, to me were Rolodex cards where you go, Yeah, I'm gonna call Bob. He has one. yeah. Those, yeah, yeah. They you know, call the 50 people on their list or whatever. It's not right. scalable. A brokerage yeah. isn't scalable. And I wanted something scalable. And so we were at a marketplace when Even Amazon and eBay didn't call themselves marketplaces yet. And so, yeah. And then I met you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think we we, we probably met, what, 2005? So it's a funny story. And I don't even remember how I found you, to be honest. I think I actually literally went to the yellow pages and looked for internet companies or something. And I found Martin somehow, your ex partner. Uh, But so I was using this piece of software to run gear source up until the time you and I met, I was using this piece of software that came from England and it was a box piece of e-commerce software when there was no Shopify, there was nothing like that. And it was called uh, Actinic. I remember it to this day, it was garbage. It was completely horrible. And uh, so that was my website and we wanted to become, you know, we wanted cloud-based, we wanted all of these wonderful things. And you built us, uh, you know, our, our first, version first version of our own platform, Cold fusion. and uh, on Cold Fusion. And I still yeah. talk to you today. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <Blair>. <laughs> you led us down a path to, a, you know, death by paper cut. You know. know, no one knew. <laughs> I know, I know. At the time, it was no cutting ship. edge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's your big old ship. We sold cold cold fusion to people. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So hey, so I'd love to love to ask.
0: You know, there's there's so many places we, we could go from this. I guess w- when you think about what you're building, marketplaces, and for the again, if it's not clear to people, so basically you've now built a marketplace that allows people, independent people, to list their list their used gear, and then you help facilitate that sale. It's you know it's an open marketplace. Imagine almost like you know, pre, you know, or, or, you know comparable times to even eBay-like level marketplace, but really, really specific to um, a, a really um, dedicated niche, niche yeah. target, uh, but but a really compelling and interesting one. What What's mm-hmm. the biggest thing you've learned over the years about building building marketplaces?
1: <coughs> oh my goodness, we're going to nail down, I'm
0: sure. But yeah, anyway, well,
1: you, know? you you hit me with the biggest thing because otherwise I'd give you a laundry list of the things yeah, that yeah. I've learned, but. You know, there's a couple big ones. One is is you know, don't ignore the technology. Technology becomes very important to my business. And we always thought we had cutting edge technology and we hung on to it too long because cutting edge technology was coming in behind it. And uh, you know, which explains we're in a, a replatforming again today right now, even though we did one. With your team just a couple of years ago what what was available on the market two or three years ago uh, or what wasn't available is today you know so this is this is the pace of of technology so don't ignore Mm -hmm. technology in fact embrace it and make it a big part of what you do Mm -hmm. however focus on the customer focus Mm -hmm. on the user focus like in such a crazy maniacal way on the user experience and the customer and the seller on your site. Don't take advantage of them because they'll find a different way to sell their product or to buy their product. And so I've always, even though we've not always done the best job of taking care of our customers, I've always believed that that's very much the most important thing is to respect them, treat them with love and respect and and do your very best to make it a great user experience.
0: You, you mentioned on your, you know, obviously, even though I've known you forever and like through your great old friend, I still like to prepare for a ship and, and go dig in. Like, you know, sometimes when you know someone so well, you don't always look at the details of their professional life. Yeah. And so I was looking at your LinkedIn and one of the things you said on there that really caught my my eye was you said something to the effect of um, several times in your life, you've put everything on the line uh, to prove your methods. Are you open to talking
1: a little bit about what, what that means? Of course. Yeah. I mean, one thing you'll know about me, Freddie, is I'm completely transparent. So uh, nothing is nothing is uh, sort of off or closed or secret. Awesome. You know, again, I quit a job. Do We need paid to get a, a tissue box or anything first? Or no, no, say, I'm good. Oh, we're good. I've, okay. I've, I've seen uh, – I've seeked professional help, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm okay now. No, I mean, you know, first – quitting a job. I mean, first leaving school in the 10th grade and going on the road with a rock band because I wanted to pursue music and then leaving the rock band because I wanted to pursue business and then leaving Canada because I felt like I was a big fish in a small pond. I know that sounds very egotistical, but Mm -hmm. Canada just didn't feel big enough to me at the time. It felt, it felt small and it felt like I already knew all the people that I needed to know Mm -hmm. there and they weren't getting me anywhere. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to go further so I mm-hmm. dove into Chicago, uh, which you know was an incredibly tough place to dive into when I'd never even really been there. So you know that was that was really sort of the early stage stuff. But then, you know, quitting quitting a very good paying job and and going and starting gear source with essentially, You know, I think I had a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, you know, from selling my shares in the previous business and just Mm -hmm. from savings and stuff. Plus, I had a line of credit on on my house. I had a second mortgage on my house. And so so I basically went all in everything I had. And I just said to my wife at the time, I said, look, I'm going to try this for six months and then I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to look backwards and see, did I just spend all the money and nothing's happening or does this show a glimmer of light? I looked at it in six months. I looked at it again in another six months. Uh, We were profitable fairly quickly. I think in 12 months, I started taking a salary out of the business, which was pretty incredible. And I replaced my salary in about 18 months that I was making from the big company before. You know, I, I mean, every step of the way, I'm all in. And to me, that's sort of the epitome of an entrepreneur is mm-hmm. you don't go, well, I'm going to put this money over here for safety and security, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put this money over here to build my business. It's all one mm-hmm. pile, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work because I believe in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And you know that to me is, is really the foundation of... On- like I know so many people who call themselves entrepreneurs, but they're still collecting a paycheck from a job they work four hours a day on this part-time business that they're putting together. You know, they mm-hmm. sleep well every night. They drive a fancy car. <laughs> I love that you, you make know.
0: that one of the criteria for Like, Oh, you sleep well. You're a yeah. frog. <laughs> yeah. You're a fake and a pony. Oh, enjoy your no, eight hours of peaceful sleep. You're not a real entrepreneur. True.
1: It's true. I mean, even Gary Vee one time, I, I remember him interviewing somebody who said, oh, I'm a full-on entrepreneur and blah, blah, blah. And he said, are you willing to forego sleep? And the guy goes, hell no. And he goes, then you're not an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've slept on my office floor. I've slept on couches. Yeah, I've, I've slept in all yeah. kinds of crazy places because you got to get the job done, right? Yeah. You got to do what it takes. So, you know, it, I, most days I wake up wishing I wasn't an entrepreneur. Because it's much more peaceful. I see all these people enjoying their families on vacations yeah. and doing these wonderful things together. I can't relax, <laughs> you know. I just yeah. can't. I, I, I'm just constantly so driven. So, it, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a,
0: a, a tricky thing that a lot of people can't quite wrap, wrap their heads around. You know how, how hard it can be to be an entrepreneur uh, sometimes. And, you know, I feel like when when you go into entrepreneurial ventures sometimes you can feel like you know, everything is you know all odds are against you. Have, you have you ever felt like that in 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 any of the ventures you've done
1: almost every day i mean literally it's like you know and you can't be sad by that because your job yeah. as an entrepreneur and a ceo of an entrepreneurial company is mm-hmm. is not to count the money it, it's to fix the problems you know we are janitors of businesses, we're we're there to clean up and fix problems, and to have the ideas that are going to continue to drive the company forward, and we're going to keep the company from dying. You know, so it's almost like being a parent. Like your yeah. job is not to not to tell them what to do every day. It's to basically coach them so that they don't kill themselves or burn in a fire when they keep touching the stove or whatever it is. You know, uh, it's just to keep them alive, really. So. so,
0: you know, you've got a clearly got a really great energy about you. And, and you know, I, I've known that from my bit long history with you. But I think anyone watching can see you've got you, know, you have a lot of fun with what you do. Yes. You know, going into something when all odds are stacked against you uh, may not seem like the most prudent idea. When you come up with a new entrepreneurial idea and you start it. Do you ever, do you go into it knowing full well things are stacked against you or do you or do you feel like you're optimistic at the beginning and then you get like 6 months in and you're like, "Wow, oh, this is harder. This is harder yeah. than
1: expected."
0: You know, so is, is there like a little bit of op, like and I mean this in a healthy way like this blind optimism that comes along with being an entrepreneur where you jump into it and then you go, "Oh ship." Or are you like are you fully braced for oh ship, you know, knowingly
1: day one? Does that make sense? It's an incredible question because Honestly, it's, it's a weird balance. Like, you know, I, you obviously start out with big ambitions and big goals, but I'm never unrealistic. I start out typically thinking I'm going to go broke. And, you know, I think (laughs) I'm going to lose everything on this and prove me wrong, (laughs) you know, world prove me wrong. And, you know, you get a lot of punches in the face along the way. Uh, Some good things typically happen if you've got a good idea. And not every idea is good. I've I've looked at some entrepreneurial businesses and gone, you know, that guy's an idiot. I'm sorry, you're going to lose everything. You know, uh, by my house, there used to be this restaurant and it was terrible. And they went out of business after a couple of years. And then another restaurant opened in there. And I'm like, what is that guy thinking? You know, that was a terrible restaurant. It's a bad location. It's got bad mojo that so restaurant awesome. went out of business and, like, and about five restaurants went out of business over a couple of years in that same location. Sometimes it's just a bad idea, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I feel
0: like another way I could have phrased uh, that question a moment ago was uh, effectively, and I mean this by the way to myself as well. So I'm not saying this in any kind of rude way, but it's like, how stupid are you basically? Cause I like, for me, I get so excited about stuff. Sometimes I, I, I'm, I wish actually I was a little more conservative like you are. I tend to be like, I can conquer this and then and this is like the classic, you know, entrepreneurial journey and then I have that panic moment of going, "Oh, yeah, there maybe this is a little crazier than I thought." I tend to, you know, I always work my
1: way I remember your TV thing. I remember yeah. your TV <laughs> thing. You oh, know, it's yeah. the yeah. one idea that you pitched to me that A I didn't get, B yeah. I wasn't fully on board with. Yeah. And you're probably going to sit here and argue today that it was an no, incredible no, no. idea and it would have worked and it was going to work and it would yeah. work today and all that stuff, but
0: uh, no, no, no. I, I described Guide as like, it was like the ugly sweater that I wish more people told me I was wearing uh, and, I didn't, and I didn't get it. But, you know, yeah. a lot of people told me that they basically, they're like, well, they're Freddie, like, you know, you're so energetic about stuff. that so I just thought maybe I didn't get it and, and, and well, they can
1: support it. It's a very valid point, Freddie. And yeah. and this is a point that I would like to make that's very much on, on uh, topic here. So sure. you have to have people who you trust. To tell you when you're being stupid. And there's very few people for you and for me who we trust that much because Mm -hmm. generally, and this is going to sound very egotistical, but generally you walk into a meeting, you're hoping you're not the smartest person in the meeting, but most Mm -hmm. days you probably are. Mm -hmm. And so you listen to all of those ideas and you're hoping that there's one better than the one that you've already got in your head. So it's, it's hard when you're
0: sure, like, I got some ideas. Well, I'll take a yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough because, you know, again, when you're a very strong willed entrepreneur who happens to be smart as well, it's hard to find people that you trust enough to tell you when you're going down a, a deadly path. And I, I can say there's very few people, you're probably one of them. There's very few people in my life who I would listen to that told me, don't do what you're doing, please don't do it. It's wrong. It's going to fail, you know, and Any, that's a good there, thing, by the way.
0: Yeah. Anyone out there watching this, whether it's live or later, if you hear me say an idea that you think I shouldn't do, please do it. God,
1: tell me. <laughs> uh, yeah Yeah. well and and you know be willing to listen too, freddie you know because that's that's the hard part you know you're smarter than me if i tell you not to do something you have to be willing to listen based on whatever experience i'm bringing to the table but you know when you came to me with chameleon collective i just remember sitting back and going what a friggin' brilliant idea. What a great idea. And I think I immediately pitched you on, you need me in this company somehow. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. you got to get me into this thing. Do you need a guy with no education, <laughs> you know, some really great ideas, but no structure? Remember, you know, that's you know, is. I'm, I'm that guy. The Canadian,
0: there's the Canadian thing that disqualified you. you yeah, won't have yeah I, understand. I understand. Sometimes. I understand. I <laughs> understand. Totally kidding. <honestly. laughs> so, so you know, there's a, Aldrich's side, there's, there's a really, um, I think another is like sub theme i'm I'm hearing here and and it's about persistence and and you know i think when you you take some of these ideas there's the ideas that people should you know should you should avoid but then there's other ones you mentioned like when you when you made those that big leap you know it took you 18 months which again i agree is really fast to kind of get back to where you were before but the point is it's very rarely is it like a lottery where it's like you just make the flip and then you get gifted with this wonderful replacement. You know, there's, there's a period of it's hard and you're going to have to take a dip and you're going to have to make a sacrifice, you know, an investment. Even if it's not an investment of cash, it might be reduced income and time. So, so tell me what persistence means to you, though.
1: Well, you know, there just is no other option, right? Like I don't walk into – any day in my work thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we can just go backwards. You know, that it's just not an option. Death is not an option. Uh, not solving this problem is not an option, but you know, I mean, there's been times like, so I was doing wonderfully well. I, I used money from GearSource to fund another business along the way, which, you know, I can now tell you was a big mistake, but I was doing really well. We were growing, we were growing, I was forecasting incredibly accurately our growth and our profitability. And all of a sudden this section between 2008 and 2012 happened, which had a mega impact on my industry, you know, entertainment dollars were one of the first things to not be spent. So, you know, people were cutting back their spending on buying concert tickets or going to nightclubs or whatever it was that caused an impact to my industry who stopped buying things and Really, it became a supply issue as much as anything because they were hoarding their old equipment and they weren't buying new equipment. So when they start hoarding old equipment, I don't have any supply to sell to the rest of the world. So that, that was my first major education as a CEO, not as an entrepreneur, but as a CEO. I was not prepared for it. For the very first time, I think it was 2010 or 11, I lost about $600,000. That was a big loss for my company, yeah. for any company. You know, a loss is a loss, but I lost about 600 grand. Um, it took me a while to cover that loss. It probably mm-hmm. took me three, four, five years to really get out of that loop and... It caused all kinds of impact throughout my business. It caused some ripples into our sellers, into our customers. I never want to do that again. And then all of a sudden, 2020 hits. And there's another similar situation where, you know, I have friends who, who have nightclubs or, rest- or sorry, restaurants, all kinds of different businesses. And they were like, oh my God, my sales went down by 30% or 50% you know, hold my beer, Uh, you know, there were were no (laughs) live events, zero for about 18 months, you know, so, um, but, you know, that opened up all kinds of great Mm -hmm. opportunities and great ideas, and it changed my way of thinking, you know, you were there, Uh, we went, we actually went more all in, and I don't even remember your original question at this point, but we went, we decided to reinvest. We, you know, the world Persistent gave...
0: When you're on track, so keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the world said, hey, here's, here's some great low-interest, long-term loans. You can get money to, to survive and to save your business. I took the money and reinvented my business and went... Fully into the marketplace world yeah. because we always kind of dabbled in marketplace, but we were still a bit of a buy sell kind of company. We went fully into marketplace where our only income is is the fees generated between a buyer and a seller, and now we're even going deeper in that direction with our new re platform. So, you know, persistence is is having to me it's having a, a clear enough vision that little punches in the side of your head don't don't knock you off course, you know, you just keep going in that direction. I, I want to ask you
0: one last question that's, that's uh, tied to this. And I, and I think this could be good advice a, out there. Uh, and I don't want to project too much of myself in this. So if this doesn't make sense for you, feel free to let me know. Is there a, a fine line between obsession and persistence? And I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who that, that, you know what I mean? Like, like obsession. Well, I'm going to ask you that, you know, what's that, what's that line between being obs- you know, obsessively focused versus persistence in, in being an entrepreneur?
1: So first, before I answer that, Robert actually mm-hmm. made a really great comment uh, on, on your comments here. And he mm-hmm. said, you can't trust friends and family to, to give you, uh, to tell you it's a bad idea. And that's mm-hmm. so true. Because your friends and family are there to catch you when you fall and to to make sure you're safe and protected and all of those things. Entrepreneurialism is not safe and protected. So, you know, the, the obsession thing, it's such a really good question because to me, obsession could lead to like arrogance or, um, and, and arrogance is very different than uh, persistence because you can be persistent but still smart enough to watch for the signs and still smart enough to to read articles every morning. Like I, I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I wait the half hour that we're supposed to wait before grabbing my cell phone and stuff. You know, I try to find the time to do at least 10 minutes of meditation. But then I dive in and I, I go to LinkedIn. I go to anywhere. If people have sent me articles overnight, I read them. I'm constantly learning and taking on information because I'm watching for the bumps in the road ahead. I'm watching for the punches in the face. I'm watching. So I think if you become too obsessed with your idea, you are bordering on arrogance and you're probably ignoring the signs at that point. Mm. So yeah, I mean obsession is not a, to me obsession is a un- unhealthy word, you know. I obsession agree. Yeah. obsession going- leads to crazy things.
0: I, I, yeah, I see I see a lot I see a lot of that. You know, it's it's good there's something it's a very fine line, right? Well, it is. Deep, deep and bordering on fanatical passion for something is something I love in other entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah. But, but obsession puts blinders on. You Such know? an amazing point. Such yeah. an amazing point. And it's the same in personal relationships, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Having a good, healthy relationship is great and loving your spouse and loving your other half or whatever. But if you become obsessed with that person, you're choking them, you're, you're, you know, you're probably destroying their life and yours at the same time. That's a problem. You know, there there always has to be some sort of a healthy balance. I think.
0: Yeah, so, so true. Well, I think that yeah. was a, a really great high note to to end this week's episode on Marcel. First of all, you know, you and I could talk for ten hours. I had twenty we more could. questions lined up. We literally could have made that a three-hour episode without without blinking. Yes, we could. Uh, let <laughs> do it again so- someday. Yeah, so the great excuse to have you back on. And um, I just want to thank you for your time and sharing so much great wisdom with our audience. Um, is there any, any
1: shout outs for places that people should look for you? Well, you know, my company, Gearsource.com, but that's obviously for people who are in the industry. We don't sell to mom and it's pop or that. to see if Mr. You're Audio Advocate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I like I like gadgets.
0: So for me, just looking at all these giant like systems, I totally geek yeah. on personally, even if you're even if I'm not in the biz. It's it's some cool stuff. You don't even realize yeah. the is these huge
1: you know, if you like yeah. music, yeah. I actually recommend you check your source out. But you know, Instagram, Marcel Fairbairn, LinkedIn, Marcel Fairbairn, Facebook. You'll get sick of me bragging about my sun racing and stuff, but Facebook, Marcel Fairbairn, <laughs> I have a unique enough name that you can find me everywhere. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you you so much, Freddie. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, My my pleasure. And and for those of you listening, whether you're watching live or you're, uh, uh, you know, tuning in uh, on YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, or any of the other platforms that you're listening via our audio podcast across Spotify, Google, Apple, any of the platforms that we're streaming. Thank you again for subscribing and listening to Oship. Please continue to support the show by tuning in every single week. And if you and if you're feeling inspired. Please share it, with, uh, share it with a friend, share it with uh, you know, an episode you're passionate about, tell your friends about it. And if nothing else, please give us a like, thumbs up, just, and just let us know how we're doing. So thank you again for your time. Marcel, thank you again for being here today, and we'll catch you next week on OSHIP. The O Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will
1: once again be raising the sales for the O Ship Show.